Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Hi, I'm Jeff. I have a podcast and you're watching it on the Social Nostra Network. <laughs> uh, I'm on here with my good buddy, David Tuttle. Tuttle, how are we doing today? Yeah, hey, my name's Tuttle and you're watching this on the Social Nostra Network. Nice to see you. Yeah, good to see everybody. Good to be back on. Um, we really don't have much as far as business is concerned. I think it's just going to be pretty much a hodgepodge, a smorgasbord. Uh, I am part Swedish, so I can say smorgasbord without uh, sport, smorgasbord without being offensive, I guess, to Swedes I out there. I just think I of that. a Swedish chef every time we've done that on the podcast. <laughs> Look, I do have a little business, what? so. What? That's your autograph, so, bro. Yeah, that's my autograph. But this side <clears throat> is blank. One side autograph, one side blank for what Mr. Plummer. So that means you're going to have to sign these, too. So we got this from... Uh, Crush City Tees at uh, Ram Shirts, and we're going to give these away. And I say we, meaning Mark is going to give these away. Ram Shirts <laughs> or Crush City Tees is going to have a little giveaway, and I wanted to tease it. So I got these last week, and then I don't know, because they were blank and I didn't have any instructions, I was like, why do you send me these blank koozies? I, I, was like, <laughs> I just chucked them in a drawer, and he yeah. sends me a message saying, Hey, uh, do you get those blank koozies? I want you to sign those and then send them over to Blummer. And I'm like, oh my God, where are those koozies? I might have like thrown them away. <laughs> so I found them in the drawer. I have now signed them and they're going to go off to you today, hopefully. And you'll sign like them. It. And then, and then uh, Crush City Tees will do something fantastic as they always do with them. So yep. be on the lookout for that, folks. Yep. And once they get signed, I'm sure that it will be, it will accompany your order from bleacherblums.com. And of course, you can find out more about Tuttle on there. You can find out more about myself on there. And you can also uh, go back in the archives on our podcast. Uh, this is going to be episode 104343. Yeah, so we've got that going for us and you can check all that out. But of course, there's always a little bit of swag like Tuttle's wearing. That's a unique right. one. I haven't seen that one yet, but you had to get your Giants colors, didn't you? I did, and I got a little. Uh, I got a little. Believe it on the sleeve. It. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Sleeving it, believing it. Yeah. So, yep. I got right. the Giants colors. I, I don't know. Yeah. I had enough Astro color shirts. No offense, <laughs> anybody. I've got a Crush City tee that's navy, orange, and you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a little bit a, of a theme going on there. I wonder why. Yeah. yeah. Hmm, <laughs> I don't know, but I think that leads us to our kind of the most topics du jour, Houston. Um, oh, Houston is like the the center of the sports universe right now with uh, the James Harden trade, the Deshaun Watson and Andre Johnson and Houston Texans debacle. And um, I don't know what the uh, local papers are saying and what you're hearing, but let me just say um, that what I heard this morning is kind of funny with the, uh, with James Harden. They keep talking about the big three now with the nets, but uh, <laughs> Kyrie, Kyrie Irving. Well, he is wall, big. So Harden he is, is big. Kind of... Oh yeah, that's right. He's 30 pounds overweight also, but somebody said, it doesn't matter if he's 30 pounds overweight, he'll still put up 35 points. I'm like, all right, well, great. But uh, will he play defense? And if he's he unhappy, hoop again? that's right. If he's unhappy, how will he behave then? But uh, right now they're calling it the big three in, uh, in Brooklyn and 
Durant seems to be the only one playing and Harden 30 pounds overweight and Kyrie Irving is on Zoom calls for the town council meeting. I yeah, I don't know. He's on I a mean, research project. Yeah, he's he's, remap- he's remapping the world. Yeah. So tell me what the what the buzz is and buzz is and he remapping the world. That's right. Flat earther. Um, <laughs> tell me what the buzz is in Houston. I wanted to say with Harden, um, I, I just I think we t- touched on this earlier a little bit before we got on um, the podcast. I just I think it'd be really hard to stomach that and swallow your pride and get the, a guy like that on your team. I mean, I remember when um, Dwayne Wade won a championship and he had Chris Bosh and they brought in LeBron. And Chris Bosh did whatever he was supposed to do. He became a spot up shooter and he was mm-hmm. less ball dominant. And he just kind of said, Hey, I'd like to win. And so we're going to let these guys kind of take the reins. I don't see um, James Harden as that type of player, but also the way he kind of, um, I don't, I don't want to say steered, but the way he kind of, uh, I don't know, manipulated seems oh, to be the word. Yeah. yeah. The media and the team and all that to get out of, Houston, how does that resonate in Brooklyn? And what has been your personal experience with guys like that, that, you know, were disgruntled or unhappy? Do they then turn it on when they're happy? I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm kind of curious, too, because I think, you know, in baseball, I don't think we have we have attitudes like that, obviously, because they're superstar athletes, pampered, uh, entitled, overpaid, whatever you want to call it. You're going to have these egotistical attitudes out there. But you know, we've talked about this plenty on our podcast too. And I think our philosophy is it's much, it's much easier to be a dominant player in the NBA than it is in the NFL or in, uh, in major league baseball, because you need so much help from your offensive line. You need so much help from a quarterback to get you the ball, or you need, you know, guys to play good defense behind you. So your ERA is low. So I think that's where the NBA lends itself to these guys who are a little more, uh, you know, self-promoting and trying to find a better situation. But I don't know, if, but are you, are you finding a better situation? Maybe the question in James Harden's case, because like you said, yeah, it sounds great in theory to go play with uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but guess what? We haven't figured out what Kyrie Irving's doing. And if he does show up, what do you do? But for me, uh, you know, when James Harden didn't get the coach he wanted, I think you started to see him get a little bit disgruntled. And then uh, who they trade away? Chris, it wasn't Chris Paul. It was, uh, was it Chris Paul for John Wall? I can't remember who it was that they traded away to get, uh, you know, John Wall into Houston. And he wasn't too happy about that either. But the straw that broke the camel's back was a couple days ago after a game. He came on in a press conference and said, this team sucks. I don't want to be here. I can't believe we're not going to compete and just threw his entire team under the bus. And I think once you did that, and he storms out of the press conference. That's it. You you lost the team right there. Yeah, I, I I just I just he lost the team. But I think, as you said, with the NBA being more uh, self promoting and ball dominant, we're looking at these super teams with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard um, and LeBron and Anthony Davis. It's great to get partnered up with guys. But I keep looking at Miami Heat when LeBron went there, and now. Uh, the Warriors, when you had Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and they added uh, Kevin Durant, and they kind of let Durant be the leader um, from a scoring perspective. But they really, they they seem to be a little more selfless and a little more unselfish as what what as to what the common goal was. Hey, we want to win a championship here. I just, I mean, there's a fine line between self-promoting 
and uh, and then you know sabotaging your environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if there we might want a little bit of both in this one, right? And if we want to juxtapose that with with what Deshaun Watson's doing, I mean, boy, Deshaun Watson handling himself really well, but talking about what kind of year he had, I mean, that really went under the radar. But I'm not a I'm not a like a scouting department or a, a, mm-hmm. a personnel department guy. But man, they, Deshaun Watson put up one of the like top five quarterback years of all time or top 10 quarterback years of all time on a team that won four games. Like he actually has a right, as JJ Watt said, you know, we owe Deshaun Watson an apology. Like he has a right to be maybe upset or disgruntled, but he still hasn't done, you know, like, Hey, this team's a wash and we hate it. And, you know, they still have some pieces to put in place. But I just think he's in a much more dire situation. I mean, Houston Texans have kind of been on the the up and up for what eight years now or nine <laughs> years, and they're just not making any headway. Yeah. And I think if your goal is to win a championship, then you want to see the ship headed in the right direction. And I don't know if that's you know I, I use the word juxtapose. I don't know if he's the exact opposite of Harden in terms of how he's handling it because he obviously has a right to be frustrated as all these players do. <laughs> But I just think um, there's just better ways to handle it. And I, I don't know. What about teammates? You mentioned um, you're, you don't have to name names, but I mean, what about, I guess if a guy comes in to help you win, then do you just forget the kind of person they are off the, off the field or off the court? I, I just, I'm just trying to reconcile to that as he walks into Brooklyn. What's, what's the, what's the feeling? Um, you better win. I think they expect, you know, and you know, as well as I do, when you're in the clubhouse, it's one thing to go out there and win because you know, you're a good enough team and everybody can have an impact on that. I want to see if this dude cares because what I saw in Houston was he only cares when he wants to care. And if he comes here with that same attitude, I'm going to be in the clubhouse going, man, dude, you know what? We just made a pretty large trade to get you here to make this thing happen. I've got hopes to going out there and contributing, but a lot of it relies on you because you are the superstar. And you better yeah. come out here and show me some effort and kind of lead the way. And that's what we attribute Kobe, Kobe Bryant with, LeBron with, and, and Michael Jordan. You know, when you watch that last dance, all he was going out there, he was, he was giving max effort and expected the same in return. But I haven't seen that same mentality from a guy like James Harden, just in the sense that he wants to go out there and get his numbers. But the interesting thing for me is, and you watched a lot more of Kevin Durant up in Golden State, I thought it was interesting when he went there how there was like that amicable feeling of, okay, we're all very good. We're going to give you the opportunity to lead the way as a new guy coming in. And I thought that showed a lot of character in Kevin Durant too, because he's not going to be perfect for 82 games. He still needed those guys around him and he understood that and he used their greatness to facilitate his greatness. You know, does that happen with James Harden in, in Brooklyn or does it become one of these again? I know they have history in Oklahoma city too. Yeah, you know what? When you talk about that, there's a couple of things that jump off the uh, jump off the page. One is LeBron's done it. LeBron's won championships in you know three different mm-hmm. cities. True. Uh, James Harden hasn't won a championship, and so I think when you have that pedigree or that history. Now, granted, LeBron is in the conversation with Jordan as like the greatest of all time, but he keeps mm-hmm. moving around and making things happen. Harden is now going to be on his third team. And, you know, with Houston, they kept saying how close they were, but he, you know, he hasn't done it. And there is always that underlying feeling in sports. Like, Hey, if you haven't done it, like they're trading for this guy who's still got potential, right? He's a scoring, you know, title guy. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think Westbrook is kind of painted with the same brush. Like they're, I don't know. Westbrook got traded for John Wall. Damn it. 
Oh, there you go. Oh, you forgot. Oh, I didn't mention yeah. that. Well, was, yeah. A brain fart. Yeah, that's right. But anyway, those kind of guys are ball dominant and they have this, but mm-hmm. I think it, it would be different if they were trading from a guy trading for a guy who has this, uh, this uh, pedigree, this championship pedigree. And we don't know if Harden has that yet. And I think that's probably one of the biggest, it does. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. The other thing that you brought up with the basketball being kind of the super team seemed to just go right to the playoffs or the championship is baseball doesn't work like that. And so when I was asking about guys on your team, I mean, that chemistry, I don't think super teams. Yes, but you can't just put Harden and Kyrie Irving. If he ever comes back and Durant on the floor and expect them to beat like Milwaukee, who's made a lot of positive changes. The other, you know, there's the glue guys. And so you still have like Levert, they got rid of. The other guy, I think his last name was Allen, um, the the forward that they traded aside Mm -hmm. from all the picks in the nets. I mean, they had a bunch of different kind of glue guys in there. And that was what I think LeBron, not only having championship pedigree, but he would bring in, you know, J.R. Smith and he would bring in the shooter over here and he would bring in this guy and everybody kind of knew their role. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I just think, you can't just magically put three dudes on the court. I mean, it's better than being in baseball. You know, if you don't have three good starters, you're in trouble, but uh, you know, I just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like to be the magic pill. And I, I, I I don't know. I I have a, I have a problem with a bunch of it, but most of it is Harden's attitude. And I just think it'd be great. Like, Oh, look at how Harden we got him. We got him out of Houston and look at how he handled himself. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Look at how he handled himself. Dude, I'll tell you what's funny is like you are outside the Houston market. I'm inside the Houston market. And your opinion of James Harden is exactly what the entire nation, other than this pocket down in Houston, thinks of James Harden. Because part of part of being a, a Rocket fan is knowing that you have this great player on your team and that's all you emphasize. So anytime you get in an argument, you're like, yeah, but he doesn't do this. Yeah, but he scores a ton of points. You know, yeah. but you, but like you said, you can't go, well, he won us a championship. You know, Akeem Olajuwon won these guys a championship. So he can go out there and say that uh, yeah. LeBron's won championships that carries a lot of weight in the, in the clubhouse. But uh, this is actually James Harden could look at this as a golden opportunity to reconstruct or reinvent who James Harden is, because I think it's a shame when a guy gets traded or moves to a new team or, you know, leaves the town and all of the national papers are like talking about attitude or talking about, uh, you know, the first thing that uh, he's going to Google is where the local, you know, gentleman's club is, you know, it's amazing to me, the reputation this guy's created. And I wonder if he looks at this as an opportunity to leave his mark in Houston, because if you look at the record book in Houston, he is top three, I think, in every stati- offensive statistic there is for the Houston Rockets in the history of the franchise. But now that he's moving on, maybe he moves on to, to Brooklyn and becomes that guy that becomes a team player that can go out and win a championship. And I think that if, if to your point, if he chooses to make that the emphasis, it could alter his, his aura and what people uh, feel about him. Absolutely. I mean, the book is not written. We'll just see. I, I think what you said is great. The Twitter sphere is always magical. I, I mean, you know, I have every to be sense pretty, of the word pretty Houston heavy because of our podcast. But man, yeah, yesterday there was everyone saying, oh, the two, ha- the most, the happiest people on earth and the most disappointed people on earth, right, are the strippers in Houston and the, the, the uh, I guess the strippers in Brooklyn that he's coming. So <laughs> the reputation, like you said, precedes him. And, you know, maybe that's how he blows off some steam. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I think, like you said, the book isn't written. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was the sixth man of the year when he was in uh, Oklahoma City. 
And then he went to Houston and became ball dominant, but also one of the you know top five players in the league for sure. And now you're putting Durant and Harden on the same team with Kyrie Irving, who's probably a top 10 player when he's healthy and, and right of mind. So, I mean, you could have three of the top 10 players in the league all on the same team. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that can be formidable, but, uh, but it can also blow up in your face. So, you know, I, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out as we all say, but uh, so what about the other Houston topic? And this, I'm going to totally defer to you because I haven't, but Deshaun Watson, Andre Johnson had a little, uh, um, I guess a little comment and things to say about the Texans organization, the direction mm-hmm. it's going. What's the feeling there in Houston about that now? And then how does that relate to, um, you know, I, I guess, how does that relate to the feeling for the upcoming year? I mean, are they going to get JJ Watt? Are they going to do this right? If they hire the right people, will that keep that a- around and will that provide hope, I guess? Yeah, there, there's obviously a lot of layers to that uh, that mm. cake right there that they're trying to bake in, in, down here in Houston. But at, this, at the time, you know, you're talking about Deshaun Watson handling it appropriately. I think he said his piece and understandably so. And maybe he was, you know, maybe enabled by the comments that J.J. Watt made. And at the same time, as you're talking about Deshaun Watson, you know, possibly being traded, you know, what do you do with J.J. Watt if you don't bring back J.J. Watt? He's the George Springer of the Houston, Texas. I mean, he is a heart and soul of the Houston Texans. He's given him personality. He's given him leadership. He's given him a voice. And now he's kind of, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a transition that he's giving it to Deshaun Watson and kind of, you know, encouraging him to be a little more, I don't know if it, you know, enigmatic or or a little more vocal or outspoken on how he wants his team to be, because maybe that leadership is changing from JJ to Deshaun. And we're still going to feel the repercussions of freaking Bill O'Brien and some of the bad moves they made trading away all these first round picks. Cause I look at the NFL draft this year and I see three legitimate wide receiver ones coming out of the draft, you know, with Chase and LSU, um, the two guys, uh, you know, D- Devontae, who won the Heisman Trophy for the uh, yeah. Alabama team. Sure. And, you know, there's, there's options out there where you could say, okay, Deshaun, we got rid of DeAndre. We're going to bring in this new guy. He's going to be your new number one. And we'll build around that. But it, it's a mess. But the one thing I can, I can tell you unequivocally is 100% of the fan base is pro-Deshaun anti-ownership and it's up to you know Cicero or whatever his name is to be able to figure this thing out and try and bring that continuity back but that's a big task man yeah um yeah because I think it's Casario or whatever Casario is that correct um yeah. and he's a Patriots guy so the Patriot way which I know rubbed everybody wrong uh, last week when he was hired because Bill O'Brien was from that uh coaching tree but uh you know, you, you, you talked about uh, Deonta Smith and uh, Waddle is there at Alabama. He was yeah. a first rounder before he blew up his ankle. Broke and then you ankle. have, yeah, you have uh, Chase, like you said, Jamar Chase, who was actually probably better than Jefferson last year was at LSU. And he opted out for this year and, and he's being talked about a lot. And the weird thing is, because I heard this discussed yesterday, you don't typically take receivers in the top five picks. I mean, you know, I think the last legitimate uh pick and that high i think the number two pick was uh calvin johnson for the lions and he'll go into the hall of fame but they had like carlos carlos rogers was a guy that matt millen picked and he blew up he passed away in the last uh i don't know year or so but he was you know into a lot of things michigan state guy that was into a lot of things except for football he was a number two pick they went as far back as uh, Irving Fryer from the Patriots was the number two <laughs> pick in 1984, 86, something like that. But I mean, you know, picking a guy that high, 
Um, but I think to your point, I guess, if the Texans are going to try and make a change um, in the right direction, I think, like you said, Nick Casario has to get the right coach so that the players are bought in. And then that just trickles down. I mean, I, we can use the, uh, the Tony LaRusa hiring, which I'll bring up, you know, probably ad nauseum this whole year. I mean, that was just kind of like a ownership saying, all right, we're going to plug this guy in here and we don't care how, what the ramifications are. You do that in Houston right now, and you're going to lose the whole, like you said, 100% of the town is pro player, pro Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt, and 100% of the town is against the ownership. If the ownership gets Nick Casario in there and he gets the right coach in, whether it be Biennemi or some of these other guys, Dayball, mm-hmm. some of the guys that are kind of well well thought of, then maybe, uh, maybe the ship does turn in the right direction. Oh, and right before we got on the podcast, so uh, the Jaguars are going to have a uh, – Oh, yeah. A press conference it looks like urban meyer which yeah you know they they keep bringing up urban meyer like he's going to be the savior and somebody said well urban meyer can't go back to college because of the show cause like if the, he goes back to college they're going to start looking at all the things he did when he was recruiting at ohio state which uh that's not a good thing so um yeah, especially anyway, they, that behind ask, yeah, ask those Pete are health health reasons yeah, yeah. urban got out because of health reasons and uh-huh. now he's yeah. going to come back and take a more rebuild type Jaguars organization. Now, granted, he's got a couple of good players and Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Um, I heard one sports prognosticator say, hopefully today at the press conference, someone can say, hey, Urban, if you didn't have the number one pick and Trevor Lawrence coming in, would you have taken this job? And that's <laughs> like, call. he would never answer it, but I thought that's a great <laughs> question. But anyway, um, you know, we jumped away from the Texans, which is fine. But what do you think about Urban Meyer uh, becoming the coach of the Jaguars? I just... I think it's interesting. I mean, he's got the pedigree in college. I don't know if it, you know, if it transfers to the to professional game, but I'm hoping that he spent enough time in the broadcast booth watching and talking and being around the game and seeing how it's evolved a little bit and doing his research on guys who have made the, you know, made the, the move from college football to the NFL. And maybe he understands it a little bit better. I think he's a little bit older, a little bit wiser, which I always think is a good thing. Uh, but you know, that's I always I think that's why you see more defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators get hired in the NFL is because they've been in the system, so to speak, and they they understand how the NFL works. Where you get these college guys and they're like, "We're just going to suit them up. I'm going to charge them up with a great speech. We're going to go right out there and take them on," you know. And it's, it doesn't necessarily work that way. But I thought it was kind of funny that Urban, you know, in the negotiations, is asking for a better facility. Well. I, do you want an updated office? Do you want a better sauna? I mean, what do you, is this a recruiting tool? It caught me on a kind of off guard, like who gives a shit what the stadium's like, you know, the grass is the same and these guys are getting paid, send them out there and teach them how to play the game. Who gives a crap? You know, if, if they like the locker they're in, I don't, I don't know. That kind of caught me off guard, but I hope that well, you, well. you come on you. I mean, Comiskey park, old Comiskey park or Wrigley field. When you bang your head on the, the, the roof of the Wrigley dugout, field, every time yeah, going but, the, but the home side's done up. Yeah. Okay. Well, you I mean, you always, you always not, crap on the visiting team or paint their locker room pink or, you know, put the, put the urinals really low or something. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. But I just think, I think what urban was thinking is that he goes to Ohio state and the facilities are way better way than better. they are in Jacksonville. Way <laughs> better. Like, wait a second. Like we need like <laughs> hot water in the showers and we need like clean tile and I mean, who knows? I mean, Jacksonville is kind of a smaller city. And I mean, I, I don't yeah. know anything about their facilities, but maybe he just wanted a better practice facility instead of, you know, an outdoor facility. Um, I got the, the 
I, the pleasure, I guess, for lack of a better word, I knew some guys in Knoxville and we went to uh, do some baseball working out in the off season one time in like February. And we used the indoor Tennessee volunteers, like turf half football field they had in, and we were kicking field goals aside from throwing long That's toss in there. Rad. Like it was nice, man. It is nice yeah. to have those like D one college, you know, facilities to have access to. And so I think what urban probably was doing was comparing it to every place he's been Florida oh, yeah. and Ohio state and even Utah now, but he's probably like, you know, like we need better <laughs> facilities and then I'll sign up as the coach. So I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. It was interesting. And speaking of college football, did you, how much, how much, this is probably the question, how much of the national championship game did you actually watch? Yeah, it wasn't unintentional, but I was at my uh, daughter's soccer practice and it was funny because I think. You didn't miss much. I, no, I know, but I think because of streaming and stuff, I was really the only one that knew the game was on. It's like January 11th, remember? They started pu pushing mm -hmm. this out. They're trying to make like Super Bowl. Like here's the playoff and you guys get two weeks and play. Yeah. I was standing there and I'm like, oh, yeah, the score is 17 to seven or it was uh, 17, you know, something, 21-17 at some point. And three guys, dads, I was standing next to like, oh, yeah, the game's on tonight. I totally forgot. Like, they had no idea. It's <laughs> crazy. Was, yeah. So, I, I, and my call, I don't know if I said it on the podcast last time, was uh, I said Alabama's going by 20. I didn't have a lot invested in it. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and it was 21-17 at one point. And then I was like, oh, there's six minutes left in the first half. It's 21-17. It looks like it might be a game. And it was 35-17, like four minutes later. And it's like, oh, in a heartbeat. yeah, it's not going to be a game. So, Yeah. No, I watched about a quarter of a half, quarter and a half of it. And, you know, it's funny because, like, my girls are, you know, sophomores and juniors. And so now, mm -hmm. you know, the, the idea of college is starting to pipe up, you know, so they, they're starting to look yeah. around where they want to go to school. So they have a better understanding yeah. of what's going on. And they've actually been into the college football season. So it was kind of funny to actually have them go, dad, isn't the game on? So I was all fired up and we turned it on and we're watching. And, you know, my oldest is rooting for the underdog and I'm going, I'm sorry, honey, but Ohio State's just going to get obliterated right here. And then yeah. uh, their, their poor running back, uh, can't remember oh, yeah, his Sermon. name. Yeah, Trey Sermon. Sermon. He's yeah. a stud, yeah. Yeah, but then he blows out on the first play of the game. And I went, ah. yeah. <laughs> that pretty much yeah, seals the deal. Done. And, yeah. uh, but it was a lot of fun to turn it on and watch that, but it just, it harkened back to what we talked about last week, or you talked about last week about how this system needs to be fixed. And it, it actually shocked me to read a couple of articles where they're like, how do we sabotage Nick Saban for what he's doing to college football? Because he, did he pass Bear Bryant now for national championships with yeah, seven? Yeah. And the, the dude's a legend. I mean, he is, he is, he is what has he done to the thing? He's destroyed the system with yeah. his ability to go out there and recruit and get guys in there and, and then teach them how to play the game. Yeah. Paul Feinbaum is on ESPN a lot and I don't follow him. He's kind of an sec homer. He's a Southern guy, but he, uh, somebody asked him the question, like, how do we, you know, how do we fix the, uh, the, the playoff system? And they're like, well, fire coach Saban or get him hired somewhere else. Like get rid of him. <laughs> and then the system's going to work fine. But as long as he's a part of this, um, you know, they're, they're, they're up against it. And he just reloads. I mean, look, he had, oh. he took the old USC assistants and coaches, right? So he had Lane Kiffin and Lane Kiffin moved on to a job. Okay. Let me get Sarkeesian so in here. He does it now. He's at UT. He's at Texas. And, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, like he's now looking he's at Bill O'Brien. <laughs> hey, 
hey, Bill O'Brien running that offense, you might be able to, you know. So again, yep. you got to know your lane, right? Like maybe Bill O'Brien was really good at that before, and then he's just not a good CEO, not mm-hmm. a good manager of men. And so, I mean, he just seems to get all the best recruits, all the best coaches, and he reloads. And I think, I think Paul Feinbaum said it right, which is, if we want to fix the college playoff system, we got to get Saban out of there, and then we'll start from scratch and uh, see how it goes. But. Yeah, there's no chance he's leaving. I mean, he, dude, he has figured it out. He's cracked the code. How come more of his, like, we talk about coaching trees and how these guys come off coaches and how they adapt. How come nobody's been able to mimic or replicate what he's done in Alabama and do it somewhere else? Like, you, sh- you would imagine – the ability, the facilities, the the tools that Sarkeesian's going to have at the University of Texas would allow him to at least compete or maybe get close to what Saban's created in Alabama, wouldn't you think? Because even at USC, you felt the same way. That's what Sarkeesian is promoting for sure at Texas mm-hmm. is, hey, look, I know the Alabama way. And he was on the jet right after the game flying to UT for the press conference to say, hey, you know, it's not going to take us long, he said, or he tweeted out, it's not going to take us long oh, to okay. get to that level. Yep. So he's confident that he knows what's going on. I think he's he's promoting that he's a stud and that he's going to make stuff happen at UT, but he's not the first guy to do that. And a lot of guys wanted to replicate Pete Carroll's, you know, deal too. Mm-hmm. So I, I just... It's one thing to say, oh yeah, you know what? Michael Jordan is the, is the guy, so I'm going to be like him. And since him that everybody wanted to be like, Mike, you've had Kobe and LeBron and that's it. So <laughs> everyone's shooting for that. Kawhi yeah. Leonard maybe getting there, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's not as easy as, as it looks. And I think Saban has a lot of um, um, cachet and he's, you know, pretty proprietary with how he does things. I, there was a really neat article this week about who he's brought in. Have you, did you mm-hmm. see that article in the athletic about um, he brought no, in Michael Jordan to speak and he brought in oh, wow. like uh, he, he had, um, yeah, Kobe spoke uh, a couple years ago about the mindset, and then he brings in business leaders. You know, Warren mm-hmm. Buffett gets to speak to the team, and uh, yeah, so he brings in all these guys. So here you are during COVID, and people are on shutdown, and Nick Saban's got Michael Jordan on a Zoom call with his team talking about cohesion and one goal and all the stuff. Like, hey, I mean, the secret sauce is there, but hey, can you call Michael Jordan and get him on our podcast? Sure. Like, I mean, Michael Jordan doesn't do it for anybody, and I think that that they're just building this factory with so much clout and so much cachet that it's really hard to uh, really hard to compete against. Yeah, no, I completely agree on that. It's been amazing. Um, But isn't it interesting too, in this COVID era with the championships that we have seen to, you know, the Alabama uh, number one seed winning it, the Dodgers won in baseball. Everybody expected them to win for the last three years. They finally pulled off in 2020. Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, far superior, go out and win a Super Bowl. And then uh, I think in the NHL, the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, did they go? I, I don't know enough about the NHL, but I, I think it's the Lightning that went out and won the most recent Stanley Cup before they got back and started playing. They did. And then yeah. the, uh, the Lakers win a championship. This has been a year of expected championships. Um, does that surprise you at all or does that shock you at all is there should we be concerned that things are trending towards no parity and all these super teams are winning that we keep talking about um that's a really good question gosh um you know i thought with baseball so we'll start with baseball first with the dodgers i mean the reason the expected happened is because of what we i what we kind of touched on all year i mean less games 
So Mm -hmm. even a more experienced kind of veteran team doesn't have to, you know, you don't have as many ups and downs. You kind of have the expected like, Hey, 60 games we got in, we had the, you know, first best record, the national league or the best record that we expected. I mean, I think that had a lot to do with it with um, in baseball. I mean, I guess many people would say the length of the season, if it's a longer season, the parity might be less, but I just think with an older, more experienced team, like health and all that stuff, and you didn't have to blow it out and get after it. Mm -hmm. Um, Football will be interesting to see. I mean, if, if, you know, if it's the Chiefs and the, yeah, if it's the Chiefs and who's the other one seed, the Green Bay, Green Bay. Um, then, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the Bills make it. I guess that's still not a whole lot of parity. I mean, it's parity in the fact that the Bills have built their system and they haven't been in the playoffs in a while. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do we just chalk it up to 2020? I mean, what are your thoughts? I, I guess I don't have a lot to that. I think with baseball, I certainly thought the expected would happen easier in a shortened season than with a longer season. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what I was going to get to, too, is that, you know, with the shortened seasons and, you know, the, ex- the, the expectations were easier to fulfill for some of these NBA teams, maybe not necessarily NFL, because, you know, we caught the, the Super Bowls in February, COVID hits in March. But uh, well, it'll be interesting to see how it finishes off the 20, 2021 season, uh, if the Chiefs are able to pull it off because teams have made adjustments between last year and this year. But I, it just kind of struck me as I was reading through some of these articles and glancing through some of the championships, how, how the expected teams won. And I was kind of like, is that cool? Is that bad? Uh, why is that? But I think, it, like, to your point, it was the shortened season because they knew that they just – just put their head down, sprint towards the finish, and they could make it there. And with everybody, we we all know when you get to the when you get to the playoffs, what do we, what you know? The, one of the first comments that you're always going to hear is always about the roster. The second one is who's healthiest, and you create a better opportunity to stay healthy if you're not playing as many games. And I think that's where, you know, the NBA lucked out having that break, and uh, a lot of those guys took the downtime to kind of get back in shape and then rush toward rush through the playoffs like the Lakers did. And then like baseball, where you knew that, uh, you know, you had, and especially the depth the Dodgers had, even if they did have a hiccup or an injury, they could plug a guy in uh, and, and go out there and compete. But they, they sprinted through it and won that thing. And Alabama, I mean, they were just their depth again. You know, if they did have a COVID crisis, they had three other guys that were going to step in there and be blue chip standouts that, you know, stepped in there and did the job. So. That's the only thing I got. I just thought it was something interesting to ask you about having watched a lot of sports, played a lot of sports, you know, all of a sudden every number one went out there and got themselves a championship. Yeah. I I think with the, it's funny because you're right. Because when you think about the uh, tumultuous state of affairs with the society and everything, but I kind of think that that to your point, the depth and the expectations are actually easier to achieve if you have, um, you know, what we had in society, because like you said, either they shorten the season or you're in a bubble. I mean, Alabama is mm-hmm. funny because uh, I think Ohio state was seven and zero going into the championship game and Alabama was 12 and zero, and they had beat all sec teams to that point. Cause they were only playing in their division. So they played uh, or in their conference, they played all of the conference, which that that's an abnormal thing in itself, but you know, Alabama is uh, a unique group. The Dodgers last year. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it goes this year. And I guess that's a good transition, as we saw um, mm-hmm. the commissioner Manfred uh, this week say that he expects yes. uh, spring training to start on time and play a 162 game season and all of that. So, um, you know, that's 
That's very noble of him and very um, lofty, I guess. <laughs> That's a very diplomatic but, and polite way of saying that. Well, I mean, what are, what are the players thinking? What do we really think about that? Is that going to happen? I, I mean, everything oh, else has been – the NBA guys are still in a bubble. And so I just think 162 mm-hmm. games in stadiums all around the country seems to be a pretty um, – like you said, maybe this is politically correct, but it's a lofty goal. Okay, so I think it is a lofty goal too. Here's my thing. Or at least – what I've been hearing and, and kind of, it's kind of a combination of how, how I, how I've thought about it and some of the conversations I've had. So there's, there's, there's three things. The first one is, I don't think it's going to start on time. And I think players know that too. I don't think they're anticipating it just because like you said, the political atmosphere, uh, the vaccine rollouts, how is a lot of that going to be handled? Um, And everybody's under the understanding that it's better to have fans in there. But I mean, even though the players don't, you know, the players need the energy. The owners need the cash. Um, so I think the owners are are adamant about having fans in there. And again, it's because, you know, if I own a California team and I'm watching the two Texas teams allow 25%, I'm the California guy. And I'm pissed. I'm like, dude, I have nothing, but you're still getting, you're losing 75%. I'm losing 100%. So it, it kind of, you know, they need to all be on the same page and agree on moving forward. So I think that's why it will get pushed back. But the thing, too, is players. You mean specifically like revenue sharing? Like how are we going to figure out? No, just revenue? like concessions, ticket sales. Yeah, you know, yeah. if, I, if I'm a California owner and I know I can't sell a ticket for the first three months of the season, but I'm watching uh, yeah. the Rangers and Astros sell 25% of their tickets, I'm going, hey, bro. Yeah. You know, maybe they do share. I don't know, but I that's mean, they're going, I mean. damn, bro, I want that. At least to start the year. Yeah, because of the different Yeah, maybe that's of, an yeah. option. Great point. I mean, it's not a great one, but at least it's an option. Right. Um, and I think players players want the 162 games. I know we, you get kind of tired of the integrity of the game or the integrity of the sport playing the full season. You threw that out the window last year, so maybe it's 140 games. But uh, the other, the third thing is – got to get paid. These guys took a pay cut last year playing 60 games. They sacrificed it in the assumption that things would be better in 2021 and they want to go out and play. And actually, you know, there's maybe three a, you want to go out there and make a full paycheck. The other one is you want to play a full season and put your numbers up. And, but three a is at the end of 2021, there is a collective bargaining agreement up. These guys want to go out there and prove that they can play under these conditions because if they do actually negotiate a CBA, they have a little more leverage and a little more power to go in there and you know have the conversation saying, look, we made this work. We conceded on all of these protocols just to get the product out there and keep the industry going. So maybe we can negotiate something else. But at the same time, I don't know if this is a good time to be negotiating a CBA, man. Because there is so much uncertainty right now. We don't know when, if ever, they're going to get back to full capacity in some of these stadiums. And I think that scares a lot of owners. Yeah, I wonder if there's a way to just kind of extend the current CBA a year, like put it on hold or something like that. Because I would agree with you. I mean, that's going to be challenging, I thought. Um, and the, the Major League Soccer, I know it's, you know, as far as disparity in Industries is great, but the MLS mm-hmm. actually said we're going to push it two years down the road so that we can wait and see what figure how, how we figure this thing out. Which seems to be um, reasonable only, like I, I think said, it's a I'm great not, idea. 
I'm not a player or an owner, but let's negotiate when we have kind of all the facts or when we have um, kind of the standard operating, because we don't know, as you said, like if some states are allowing something, they don't even know what the revenue numbers are going to be. I did see somewhere, and please, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong on the number, but Gary Bettman, who is the commissioner of the NHL, said something that they're likely to lose about a billion dollars this year. I mean, they, they were thinking of putting the whole season on hold at one point. Mm-hmm. because they're going to lose a billion dollars. And we touch on that with a podcast way back when we had Jeff Schwartz on. And uh, he said that the SEC <laughs> even member having, you know, capacity, 50% capacity or, you know, no capa- no fans, but still playing the games and putting them on TV, that th- they were going to lose a hundred million dollars. So, I mean, all these companies, all these organizations, all of these entities are losing a significant amount of money. And like you said, that just trickles down to the players are not going to get the contracts like the, the George Springers of the world. And there was an article talking about the freeze. I mean, they're not, nobody signing free agents. Like it's really hard to sign a guy for four years, like 25 million when mm-hmm. you have no idea what's going on. Right. I mean, so this is, no, I'm, this is a I trying think, times. No, it's, it's completely trying times. I mean, it's terrible for guys like Springer and uh, some of these other guys that are free agents out there because you want, you, you played well enough to get your monster contract. And I think, you know, I think the time, the length of contract is a real big issue right now because of the uncertainty of the game moving forward. Uh, fans, you know, because you know, a lot of the reason you sign a guy is to what? Put butts in the seats. And if you can't put all the butts in the seats, am I going to sign this guy? Um, and am I going to sign him long term? Because I don't know what the CBA is going to look like. I don't know if I'm going to have a full capacity stadium and be able to uh, reap the revenue to be able to keep these guys around. Uh, I think that's why the Mets are in a unique position to be able to go out and sign some guys because they weren't hit by last year. It's Steve Cohen who's moving in with fresh money and wants to make a good impression, but he's probably wondering how many people am I going to actually make an impression upon if they can't come to the stadium? Uh, so I think kicking it, I mean, it's, I know it's kicking the can or you make adjustments and move forward with the two years, but I think that's the way to go. And, and speaking of the freeze on free agency, uh, we only saw we've only seen one signing in the last two weeks, I feel like, and it was Liam Hendricks going to the Chicago White Sox uh, for 13, you know, four year deal, maybe 54, 55 million, you know, and uh, I thought that was I thought they got him at a pretty good price, you know, 13 million for the first couple of years, 15 million towards the end of it. But a guy who's kind of figured it out in the last two years, I think he's got a pretty good upside. And I think that's a great sign for them. You know, the Astros are a team who could really use a closer with Osuna being on the shelf with his elbow issue. Yeah, really good points. And I would say the Hendricks thing is interesting because that's my thought now being out of the game for a while. I mean, you're a little closer to it, um, knowing what the Astros are doing or hearing the scuttlebutt around the the, the uh, organization. But I think it's really interesting because we see these guys do those early sign deals, right? Where you're not getting max dollars, but you're kind of doing the, um, you don't have to wait till complete free agency. Somebody Mm -hmm. like Hendricks is looking at this probably going, look, I'm a closer. Maybe they usually sign closers to like two year, $25 million deals, you know, with the way he's done it. And he just did like four or five years, like you said, four year deal and kind of just stretched it out. I'm wondering if that's what we're going to see now, not just because of COVID and pushing it out, but Hey, it's a two way street. And it really depends on how the players association and the agents look at it. But look, if you're going to give me, if, if Springer, for example, was going to get like a three year, $90 million deal, maybe they give him like a five year, like 
85, 90 million dollar deal, right? So he's taking less annually, but you know, the the old Bobby Bonilla theory, right? You'll pay me mm -hmm. for eight years on really when I was going to get a four year contract. So instead of four years, 100 million or four years, 125 million, you make it seven years, 125 million. And that way, the risk is less and you're getting paid longer. And, you know, I mean, some of these guys will peter out before then. But hey, mm -hmm. it is a contract. It is a way to negotiate. And maybe that's a way to kind of offset these um, these losses. Because if, you know, if you're Springer and you earned your payday and you're you're stuck on 110 million and you want three years, 100 million or three years, 110 million, good luck trying to get it right now when there ain't nobody coming to the stadium. And so I think there's probably going to be an interesting dynamic going on there. Is that something that you've heard or is that just me pulling it out of my head? I, I haven't heard you know that, what? but it's something I'm definitely feeling. You can definitely yeah. feel that, that, that working. And, you know, it would be smart of me to actually call my agent and just kind of pick <laughs> his brain a little bit and, you know, get his, you know, and see, see if I'm an absolute moron, uh, you know, about these issues, you know, and just talk to him and, and you know, cause he's got his ear to those contracts and those, uh, those conversations a little bit more than I do. Um, right. But, you know, the structure of Liam Hendricks is an interesting contract. He's actually protected himself pretty well with buyouts and things like that. But uh, and that's another way that the player can make up for the short term. Say you sign like you're, you're talking about, say you sign, sign a short term deal, maybe not for the annual money that you want, but you guarantee the full contract, even if they release you or trade you or, yeah. you know, they or you don't perform and they want to buy you out. You still get the full value of the entire contract. Uh, might be a conversation and how they alter some of the shorter term contracts that they do ca have coming out. Um, the Astros did sign a couple of guys, Ryan Stanek. Uh, he's an ex Tampa Bay guy throws really hard. Uh, but you know, the interesting thing about him is he's made a name for himself being an opener. And I don't know, you know, how that plays into what the Astros are going to try and do with uh, their pitching staff. If they feel they have the depth or if he's going to be a back end guy. And they also just recently signed uh, Pedro Baez, who had been pitching with the Dodgers for several years, and he's going to be another piece in that bullpen. So they are bolstering the bullpen, but they still haven't gotten that that closer. And I feel like, you know, as important as a pitching staff as a pitching staff is, if you can kind of put together two or three good starters and maybe find that four and five guy throughout the course of the season and kind of mix it in there, I, so that's where I feel like you know having a closer kind of changes the games a little bit and increases your win probability because. I think they're still going to have a potent enough lineup to put up runs, but you don't want to score 10 runs to win. You want to score six and then have that dude close it out. Do you, do you feel that the value of a closer is maybe weighted a little bit more on a team that can score just so you can shut those games out? Um, I don't know if it's weighted more that way, but I like what you're talking about. If you're a GM and you're going in to build a team, we always talk about the frontline starters. Yeah, it's great to have Verlander and Cole, but what kind of solidifies the pitching staff and it's almost like a puzzle is you kind of get the, the front end and the back end, and then you can good, good put call. in the pieces and let those guys go. And I mean, that was your point. I'm just saying, yeah, it would be great to get like, this is our guy at the back end of the bullpen. We know what we have here and we're going to sign him. And then you just kind of dot the rest of it. I mean, you know, Baez isn't a closer. Um, he may be your Umat, um, but he's, he's not going to be your closer. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, uh, he, and he had some success with the Dodgers. I think the connection James Click had with Tampa Bay and Stanek is probably that was an, not an easy sign, but somebody that he had high hopes for maybe in Tampa Bay and they were willing to let him go. And Hey, I, I know what we can do with this guy, but, uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's kind of like an echo. You're yelling into space. If you get your frontline <laughs> starters and you're like, hello, hello, hello. And you know, you won't get anything back until you get that, 
that wall built at the back end. And once that yep. back end is there, then you can start, you know, hearing the voices come back. And I just think, um, yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, those, those things need to be, those need to be put in place. And as you mentioned, the, the White Sox getting us, um, who, what's his name? You just mentioned him. Who's Liam Hendricks. Liam yeah. Hendricks. So them getting Hendricks with what they've had last year and the kind of the potential they have puts them in a really good spot. Now Tony yeah. Larusa may not use him correctly, but you know, I'm going to keep taking jabs at Tony Larusa. Tony Larusa is taking him, a beating in the bleachers. He's going to make him their number three starter. Like Hendricks, we're going to put you in the rotation. No, but I uh, but I mean, yeah, that that's a team that I mean, to your point, it's a really good signing from what we've seen from the White Sox on the field. They got a good young yeah. core of people, Giolito and some other starters there. They're a really solid team. Adding that closer makes them a formidable opponent opponent for sure. Yep. Um, what uh, TV show are you watching right now? What are you streaming? Are you, are you a big TV watcher or are you, you know, how are you spending this downtime? I am. And so I'm going to bore the, the audience. Uh, I'm pretty much like British mystery, like British murder mystery. So we watched every one of those. What what is the deal with all of these European British shows coming out? I feel like they're everywhere, but they've been out. They've been out. I think maybe that's what it is. Maybe we're so done here in America. We're going to their stuff. Well, I just, somebody said this the other day, I was listening to maybe Bill Simmons has a, a podcast on the Ringer Network called the Rewatchables and he, they rewatch movies and talk about it. And he made a really good point. This was a Rewatchables podcast with Bridesmaids, which everybody loves the movie <laughs> Bridesmaids. But his point was he looked at this character actor and said he just can't get her out of his head for that role. So then you can't move her into oh. another movie or another show. So when you watch these British shows, I'm always like, now I'm starting to be like, oh yeah, I know that guy from uh, yeah. from that show. But I really like that part where you don't know who these people are. And that mm-hmm. makes it a lot of fun. That and the accents you can't understand. You know, <laughs> if you're watching a, a British show with subtitles, there's one called um, Line of Duty, in the Line of Duty, that's more like an IA, like internal affairs. That's really good. But you mentioned uh, Queen's Gambit to me, or you recommended along with another yeah. friend of mine. I finished that, that was fantastic. And what I just started watching was Homeland with uh, Claire Danes. Oh yeah, and, uh, she's amazing. One of that. So we're we're down to a show that started in 2011, I think, and I'm in season nine. But that is, I mean, I'm I'm enjoying that, and I still don't know whether this guy who was held captive for eight years, I'm like, is he the bad guy or isn't he? I can't figure it out yet. So yeah, okay. they've done a good job with that, like the double triple agent all of a sudden Ooh. coming back to haunt him or whatever it is. But it's really good. Yeah. Claire Dane does an unbelievable job. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Glover? What's what's your show? Well, it's captive? it's just funny you bring up the you know the British you know comedies okay. or the British dramas and you know stuff like that because. My wife, and I don't know if it's a female thing, no offense, but why are they so into this royalty thing? Is it the queen, like yeah. being a queen? Is it the, is it the, <laughs> you know, going out there and, you know, waving to the mass crowds that are cheering you on for being born into a bloodline? Like I have a hard time understanding this whole thing. Yeah. So my wife has actually gotten me into the crown. So I'm watching the crown. I'm like, she's watching it for entertainment. I'm watching it more for like, uh like research historical perspective i'm going oh so this is the monarchy you know i'm trying to figure out dutch this and you know whatever you know queen mums and mommies and you know prince philip and i'm trying to remember these names but the part that cracked me up is that you said you have to watch it with subtitles dude i got five minutes into that show and i was like (laughs) 
Where's the I'm, subtitle on the remote? I got to figure. Okay, because <laughs> I got yeah. I got to hear what's going on. But uh, I've, I've definitely gotten into that. I've already watched Homeland, so I'll let you kind of get through that one. That was a really good show. Uh, the one that the couple of shows that we really enjoyed were Westworld, and uh, the one that surprised and shocked the hell out of me that was so good, Shit's Creek. I don't know if you've gotten into that, but I loved that show. Absolutely right. loved it. All right. I'm uh, we're in season two, and I like Eugene Levy. I mean, I'm a big Best in Show guy, and like uh, Waiting American for Pie. Guffman, all those like. No, no, not American Pie, not as much. Like Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show are like those weird, quirky, like the Saturday Night yep. Live guy. Um, oh gosh, now Christopher, uh, the guy that's married to um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, man, he's the six-fingered six-fingered man in um he's a six-fingered man in uh in princess bride oh well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no <laughs> christopher i'll think of it somebody on this podcast like i'm gonna get an email saying ah yeah you gotta get that guy yeah, anyway, please do but yeah he he was an snl guy for a long time with michael mckean lenny and squiggy and he was like they did the uh remember. the synchronized swimming you know hey you <laughs> i know you and they were the Anyway, all that stuff is great. So Eugene Levy, I've known for a long time. I don't know. I watched Schitt's Creek. I like the guy that used to be on Letterman too, Elliot from... Uh, oh, yeah, Chris uh, Elliott. Yeah, Chris Elliott from... Uh, he was also in uh, Something About Mary. He was a uh, woogie. Mm -hmm. But like he... Like just him and the mayor and the Schitt's Creek. Like there and are some boiler. really funny things. Oh, he's just... Yeah. So, but I just haven't... It hasn't resonated with me. And I'm in oh, season man. two. I... I like some of it, but no, yeah. the two so, kids, right, well, Alexis and David, man, I love, I love those. Yeah. I mean, some of the comebacks that David had cracked me the hell up, man. I don't know why, yeah. but I just, I just I get that humor. He's funny. Now I, I think he might be still, that's Eugene's son, I guess in real life, yeah. Dan Levy, but his daughter, uh, so but, Eugene's son and daughter were bo are both on that show. It was kind of oh, okay. cool. Oh, cool. I, is the daughter the daughter? That's No, daughter? Twyla, the oh. one that works at the, uh, oh, the yeah, cafe. Okay, I like that. All right, well, uh, maybe I'll get into it that way. I don't like the guy that she's into either, the bearded guy. Like, oh, he's like, a he's, nozzle. Yeah, I hate Complete that guy. Nozzle. He's, he's like a bag. Like, oh, he's so dreamy. I'm like, he's oh, ugly my... and he's a loser. Dude, he looks all pasty and painted on, and then he looks like ah. a bachelor reject, man. There like, we go. Come I on, dude. That so that part just doesn't do it for me. I do like the gal that works <laughs> at the hotel, like uh, David's. Uh, yeah, she's yeah, like she's great, but you know. Anyway, oh, two more shows since you mentioned that was a great question. Uh, a, a show called Trapped. It's from, I think it's Iceland, uh, right outside of Reykjavik. That definitely is subtitles, but that's a murder mystery kind of in the cold, like dark, like winter. It reminds you of Alaska. And then there's like another it. show called Wisting, W-I-S-T-I-N-G. I think that's the detective's last name. They're I was both like, on what Prime. the hell does that mean? Yeah, they're both on Prime. And they're the Wisting, Wisting away. They're chasing, they're chasing a serial killer, and it actually has some American mm. actors in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I, those shows, if you like those, I got many more for you. If you hate them, then you can just, you know, at least no, we kind of have like Shit's Creek as, you know, it's a critically acclaimed. I just, eh. yeah. And it, I, I get that part that, you know, I get, cause like the first four episodes I'm going, I don't know where this is going. You know, I, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, okay. Rich people don't have money to live in this crap town. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's called Shit's Creek. I mean, it was just like some of the over the top comedy. Yeah, that like got really Shit's Creek. Like we could uh, come up with something. As a I just like that his name is Rolling Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, See, like the easy, easy like, humor, right? Isn't yeah, that it is. I mean, if you got to throw the 12 year old humor out there every once in a while and have a blast with it. And that's where I think Eugene kind of nailed it. Is it that tongue in cheek? Like, oh, we're going to call it Shit's Creek. And the mayor's name is going to be Roll in Shit. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, you know, that's just, that's priceless. The, the poetic, funny. The, the artistic license when you've achieved a level and you're like, I'm going to pitch this just crazy, insane idea to the producers and see if they take it and run. And they did. Yep. And they did well. We did well. Yeah. I mean, are you happy with the, what happened here today? Um, you know, I wish, I kind of feel like, are you happy? Am I happy with the, uh, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I really like getting together with you on the podcast. I feel like, yeah. um, you know, we're gaining some momentum. We talked about in the social noster network. I think it's, uh, you know, the off season is always a weird time. I think this is probably like the kind of lull in all the sports world and we still oh, build yeah. an hour. So I'm pretty pumped about that. It's like, great. NBA season is kind of getting going hardened, but the NFL's, you know, I guess the playoffs we could talk about, but it kind of, that seems to be in a lull right now after next week. Mm -hmm. I think when we get the championship games decided, then we're going to be like, all right, these are the teams. Uh, a lot of people think the bills are going to be upset this week um, by the Ravens, but uh, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out, but this is kind of the lull in the sports world. And uh, I think we did a pretty good job. What about you? You happy? Yeah, I'm always happy. Like you said, it's good hanging out with you. And I hope everybody else kind of enjoys the moment where we just kind of spout off and have a good time too, because I think everybody's in it with us. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I, I have found myself, like you said, in this lull, just kind of like searching for, for podcasts or entertainment, because, you know, you kind of get done with your chores around the house, you get done with your work and you're going, all right, yeah. uh, what do I got now? So I, I'll walk around all day with an AirPod in kind of listening to podcasts and trying to be, you know, distracted or maybe learning more. Um, but yeah. it's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to the Cal Bowl this weekend when the Rams take on the Packers between Goff and Aaron Rodgers. I know it'll probably be a blowout with the Green Bay Packers. But Aaron Donald, that defensive line, they're going to have to do some serious work to make Aaron Rodgers uncomfortable. We appreciate all the frontliners and everything that's going on. Make sure you check out CrushCityTees.com. Just geek at solutions out there in Houston for all your IT uh, needs and fixes and things like that. But that's going to do it for us. Tuttle, I hope you get after it. I hope you believe it. And I hope everybody else listening does too.